podcast all about video game movies and the stories that shape them. My name is Andy Spateri, joined as always by Gooey Fame. Goo, how are you, my friend? Hey, um, I was really, I was struggling earlier today, but uh, I've made a couple of good choices, and I've recharged, and I think I'm ready for this. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I went, I went to bed late last night. Um, I've been rewatching Mr. Robot, if you couldn't tell by some of my tweets. And uh, first oh, of all, yeah. what a what a phenomenal fucking show! That's such a good show. Um, if you have not oh, yeah. watched Mr. Seen Robot, it. dude, so I like Rami Malek got a lot of praise for um, Bohemian Rhapsody, and I actually didn't see that movie, but I have no doubt that he is as every bit as good as they say he is, because like he is just like a a a force. In Mr. Robot, it's oh. it's so good. It's so good. Um, if any, like if you do, do you like Fight Club the movie? Yeah, I do. It's okay, been a while so, since I've seen it actually, but uh, yeah, I like I, that I don't, movie. I don't think that this is giving away anything. This this is basically like Fight Club, but with hackers instead of like people fighting. It's like well, you kind of have the same like where where Jack the narrator will just speak right to the to the audience like. Um, Rami Malek, his character Elliot will do that. He'll just speak right to you. Um, and you've got like this big corporation that they're trying to bring down. It's just, it's, it's very topical and it's like, it's just a really wicked it's show. Like anyway, a, so a watchdog show. Like yeah, they don't even maybe, need to make yeah. a watchdog show. They already did it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fuck that's a watchdogs is about then like, sure. <laughs> you're like a hacker. That's all I really remember is you're a hacker. Yeah. And it's like, it's very, very, it's such a good show because a, they make the hacking like relatable, but then like B, they also aren't concerned like showing you how exactly Elliot does all the stuff he can do on the computer. Sure. It's just like, he's like, you know what? This guy's a genius. Just go with it. Right. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's so mm. good. It's so good. And I'm, uh, I'm rewatching. I watched up till season three, season four just came out and that's the final season. So. Oh, cool. That. Four seasons. But, I like that. Yeah. Don't so waste not your time. Too much of an investment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was up. I was up pretty late watching that, and I had oh, to get up early again today. Yeah, yeah, I was sleepy, but I'm doing good. I I should say I'm I'm one episode away from I've been going through The Witcher now. <laughs> so really, I thought I was gonna watch it, and then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna watch it, and I've been enjoying it. So, uh, yeah. Do, do I should I ask you your thoughts, or should we maybe just save that for a future episode? I guess if you want to do, a, I know we did the first episode. Maybe if you want to do a, like a season one episode, is that called for or what? Uh, you know, I I wouldn't be against it. I wouldn't be against it. I know that like Sam would definitely love to rewatch The Witcher. I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> All right, yeah, let's uh, consider that for maybe after the next few or something. Because the okay. second season's coming around, so right, right, it'd be a good uh, refresher for everyone, maybe. I will. People, I will just say, tweet at us. I enjoy it. I I am enjoying the show. So we are here today, tonight, in fact, to cover a very, very different, uh, different kind of a movie. And it feels like we've been kind of doing a lot of different things lately, which I'm actually like super excited about. We did, you know, we did the Paul poll of AVP. I heard a <laughs> lot of really good response to that. That was great. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with all you guys, but Alien Covenant rocks. Okay. That movie rocks. <laughs> there was a, yeah, there was some heat in the Discord. I'm I'm looking at you, Dylan. Uh, but but yeah, so we're here today to do another kind of a different uh, movie, and that 
is Console Wars. And this is a documentary, and this is based off of the book by Blake J. Harris, who also directed this film. So I am like, I actually read the book about two, three years ago now, and was like just enthralled with every single page. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to diving in and kind of going over some of the talking points that the documentary offers. But before we get there, uh, we do have some actual video game movie news, not just uh, not just something being announced, but like actual news to share. And I can't mm. believe that it's happening, but we have our first look at the Uncharted movie. It's quite the look. <laughs> quite the look. <laughs> look describes it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of Tom Holland as Nathan Drake? Oh, did we get a look at that? I only looked at Mark Wahlberg. Oh, no, we got to look at, oh, okay. uh, I'll, at Tom. I'll, okay, well, let's talk about Mark Wahlberg really quick while I look up the Tom Holland thing and give my opinion on that. So, <laughs> what what can you, what do you say to that? So I, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're partially, we're seeing out of context, you know, it, it was just like a front-facing selfie shot of Mark Wahlberg. Like it, it looked like we caught we like caught him in a compromising position almost. Um, <laughs> like we weren't supposed to see this photo, but uh, yeah, it's just him with like a really bad mustache. Oh, this this thing is like a millipede on his face, and it's like jet black, and his hair is like brown. It looks it kind of looks like shit, but that's what makes it look so good. I think. Uh-huh. Um. You know, it's uh, it's a look. It's a look. So, I'm looking. Are there two pictures of Tom Holland? Um, uh, I think it's just the one. He's got he's got like the Nathan Drake, yeah, uh, like white shirt. He's got uh, he's got the backpack. He's got the hair in his face. I don't know. He lo- he looks like Nathan Drake to me, but I just like I don't know what it is. I just can't get my head around like him as Nathan Drake. You know. The thing is, like, I'm curious what the tone of this movie will be, because, like, this specific look of Nathan Drake, like, looks like a different um, era to me or something. Like, it looks like 10 years ago. Like, he looks like, you know, when the Uncharted games came out. And I don't know. He doesn't look. He looks kind of (laughs) cheesy, in my opinion. But uh, yeah. I will also say he looks like Nathan Drake does in the game. Uh, so I don't know, you know. Um, and and like I'm not I'm not probably in the best position to judge like Uncharted because that's just that's one of those series that like I I've meant to play it. I bought the games and I just haven't done it yet. It's still it's still sitting on my shelf. It's actually packed away right now. All my stuff is packed, but um, I just I haven't got around to it yet. So like. I like I don't have a lot of like insight to offer but like what I think would be the best like kind of vibe or tone or whatever for you know for uncharted to go for but like I don't know so maybe it's just cuz like we're so used to to Tom Holland as like Spider-Man or something I I don't know Yeah I'm it's not just... I can like totally buy cuz I I haven't really seen him in a lot but I can buy him as a different character he's not like one of those situations, but I just think making him look exactly like Nathan Drake, the video game character seems weird. Like maybe that's it. Yeah. And maybe it's because he, he dresses exactly like him, but it's like 
he doesn't look like him and he just looks younger or, or like, I don't know, something like, something yeah, is, it's just off. I feel like if you're going for him as younger, I want to see like a different look almost like a, you know, right. you're going like for this, we got this young, sexy look for him. Right. So give him like a, <laughs> you know, make him like, look like a dashing young man. And not, how old is Nathan Drake? Cause he dresses, you know, he dresses like, uh, I don't know, a a 38 year old man, you know? <laughs> so like, that's, it's like Tom Holland dressed as like someone in their late thirties. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't look right to me. It's, it's kind of like, um, I was having this conversation with someone at work. They were talking about the Avengers video game that they bought. And to me, that it seems like so weird because like we're all used to, you know, Chris Evans face and, and Scarlett Johansson's face as like those characters. And like these characters are also photorealistic, but with different faces. And it just seems like it seems like it's unnatural, like it doesn't fit. And if I was making that game, I would have went with like a stylized or like cell animated or like something to make it look unique and distinctive. And maybe that's the problem that this like Nathan Drake thing has for me is like, it just, I feel like I should be seeing the Nathan Drake face that we all know because like everything else looks identical, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I guess, you know, this, this could all change. Like, I I guess if we saw a trailer, you know, like, Again, yeah. seeing that and Mark Wahlberg, like seeing it in the context and like the tone and like actually how it's, you know, shot. Because I don't know. I th- I think there's been plenty. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but plenty of instances where you see you see a shot or a costume or something from a movie and you're like, that's lame. And then like it actually you actually see the final product. and You're like, OK, like, you know, with like lighting or whatever, it just changes it yeah totally this this looks uh, like totally. some his like senior photos or something you know uh, i mean i never thought that we'd actually get to the point where like we actually had a photo with this movie so i mean that's progress anyone that has not seen mark Wahlberg's dirty stash for this movie <laughs> you owe yourself you owe it to yourself to go and look check out his instagram it is something else uh you won't regret it uh another announcement that came out this week ubisoft uh tweeted out that they are entering an agreement with Netflix to produce an Assassin's <laughs> Creed show. Netflix, Do- they're just like, <laughs> they're just everything, you know. There's any property they can get their hands on. On on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for Assassin's Creed on Netflix? Well, actually, so with, with a lot of Netflix stuff, I'm always very cynical. Like, Like, there's always like a new you know, trending movie or something on Netflix people are talking about or like a show. And I'm like, this looks awful. I don't even watch it. And I just hate it Um, (laughs) for no, I don't know. Sometimes no reason, but I mean, all these video game shows have been good. Um, I don't know if that trans, you know, I don't know who's specifically in charge of what, but like, I don't know. It's worked for Castlevania. It's worked for the Witcher, I think. And I don't see why not with uh with Assassin's Creed you actually I don't know you got all this like lore and intrigue why not uh you could have that go over a course of a season and be interesting I guess if done right so let me ask you a question um should they make Assassin's Creed and like specifically focus on characters like Altair or like uh, Ezio 
um, or I can't even remember what the guy's name from Assassin's Creed Three was. But like, should should they kind of mm. should they kind of base it around the games a little bit more faithfully, or like, is this is this That's something interesting? That... Yeah, because I think when we did our episode, I think my pitch for a movie was you do something new, but uh. And and that's usually what I kind of think, but I I've noticed with with like The Witcher, like it's pretty faithful, you know, from what I can tell. I actually watched like the first episode of the old uh, Hexer, that like Polish Witcher show, and it was like line, you know, lines were exactly the same as episode one because they were adapting it from the book or whatever. And um, right. yeah, and then Castlevania, we talked about how they kind of pull in you know all these different parts of the of the lore right and but it still oh, like the, fits that, in right that that is the perfect blend i think like they just nailed it like how to take the existing lore but like turn it into your own story i think Castlevania is like the the benchmark for that now assassin's creed is a game where i i solely play it for just to hang out in the historical setting and i don't really care about the story but i you know i i guess in a show form like where you have all that time like i i guess they could probably there's no reason you couldn't make a interesting story out of it so yeah my thought is like i i kind of the same of you my initial instinct would have been like well of course you make something unique because you know you want to make it like you almost want to have a, a clean palette where you can do what you want not be beholden to anything, but you could still take some of the core ideas. But like, I, I mean, I feel like that's what the movie did and it didn't really succeed. So like, I wonder if like the opposite side of this is like, you know, a lot of those characters, like particularly Ezio and maybe to a lesser extent Altair, like very, very like beloved characters now. Um, so I like, you know, I wonder if maybe, I wonder if maybe the show jumps all over the place. Like it's kind of, some of it's set in like the Crusades with Altair. Some of it's set in um, in like the Italian Renaissance. Some of it's during uh, when was Assassin's Creed Three? That was during the American the Revolution. Yeah, the, the American Revolution. Yeah, it's like maybe maybe the key to success is like it kind of each episode could be its own time period and like the, all the characters maybe could interweave. <laughs> I, maybe what they should do is have actually the uh, what was that guy's name? The the main guy who who kept on going into the to the animus um um wh- whoever he was whoever yeah, he was the guy maybe in the first he's the games yeah so like he could go in and like <laughs> you could follow him at the start of maybe an episode or something and like he he could take you to you know altair's timeline so, you could spend an episode or two there he could come back and I, I don't know you're describing my perfect show which is like the 90s t- sci-fi tv version of this which is also what I kind of wanted The Witcher to be, which is just like, don't have this overarching story and every episode is just him witching, you know, like him <laughs> hunting a monster, like, you know, doing whatever instead of like inserting this overarching narrative. Um, but yeah, that would be like my 90s quantum, like quantum leap or something where, you know, every episode Scott Bakula like hops into the body of like a different person from t- yeah. time and he's just like oh boy here we go <laughs> um, i mean i i think like you you have to have an overarching storyline and into like in today's medium especially like I, yeah. I think you have to have that but like they could also do it where like 
like even Witcher does that pretty well, where it kind of balances its its overall narrative with like the monster of the week kind of yeah, deal. Yeah, totally. I think what they would do is like they would have two storylines going that like wrap up at the end of the season, which would one would be the past and one would be the present. And Desmond, Desmond, Desmond Miles. Desmond Miles. <laughs> Roll time. You got the first name. I got the last name. <laughs> yeah, I think they would do that. Though I could totally see like, yeah, I don't know. I could see like maybe that it's like there's an overarching story with him in the present, and then each episode is like whatever his past avatar gets up to, like a different thing, and there's like. Hints and clues, you know, because they're always like looking for some artifact or something each episode right. to get to it. I think that'd be good. Yeah, I, I do think it would be cool to um, to, like see Ezio or Altair, though. Like maybe you don't have to spend a ton of time there, but like particularly like there's three games in the Ezio timeline. Like they, they had so many cool characters that were kind of introduced around there, too. Like that'd be so badass if you were fighting like the Borgias or like Leonardo da Vinci was there and he was your ally or like there, like there are so many like cool, cool <laughs> things that they did yeah. in those games. Every episode you have to befriend a new Renaissance figure for sure. I would watch it. They, they, <laughs> they could make this great. Yeah. Why not? They, net, the Netflix video game stuff. I'm going to stay optimistic about because it's been good so far. Uh, okay, Th- that's enough fucking Assassin's Creed until we actually get uh, <laughs> some news about this Netflix show. Let's get on to the documentary that we're here to cover. This is Console Wars, the, uh, the documentary, as I said. Um, this is available on CBS All Access, and it's only available on CBS All Access. So, if you are interested in watching this, <laughs> uh, you need to sign yourself up for a free trial. Get that one-month free trial. Make sure you cancel it after, because there's nothing else well, on CBS All Access. Unless you want to watch all the Star Treks that are coming out. <laughs> oh, well. There's three the new Star thing- Trek shows ha- happening right now. Uh, I saw the Twilight Zone on there, which would be kind of cool. Oh to yeah, watch. I watched the first episode of that. It was okay, but like I'm, I'm going to cancel my CBS All Access like as soon it's, as we're done. It's a terrible <laughs> service, if I'm being it's, honest. It's awful. Yeah, and it's like it's like six bucks a month, so it's like it's like all it's not that much less expensive than Netflix for like a fraction of the content. So yeah, and they're really banking on Star Trek, honestly. Because it's it's doing well for them, I think. Uh, so, like, they have more seasons of all these shows ordered. But right. uh, that's just kind of their only thing going. So they kind of just are like, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're like a slave to CBS All Access. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, well, let's, uh, let's get it going here. So Console Wars, as I mentioned, was a book. And it came out in, I want to say 2014 or 15 was written by Blake J. Harris. I cannot recommend the book enough. It's got some negative reviews for how the dialogue works, but basically what Harris did is he kind of, he he took interviews and kind of weaved them into like more of a story. So it's a lot of um, paraphrasing and stuff like that in order to like make a, a kind of a fun narrative. 
But um, it's it's a really really good book. I really recommend it to to anybody that uh, wants to learn a little bit more about Sega and Nintendo and just kind of the early days of uh, you know the 16-bit generation. Um, the documentary was directed by Blake J. Harris and Jonah Toulis, and uh, I'll, I'll give you a brief synopsis here. So the documentary and the book focuses on Sega's. I guess you could call it their meteoric rise from a distant, distant second place competitor with Nintendo at the turn of the 90s. And they hire uh, a new CEO for Sega of America named uh, Tom Kalinske. And he essentially turns the turns the tide and, and brings Sega up to, you know, it's, it's very, they're a viable competitor with Nintendo. And it kind of follows... The, the rise and fall of Sega in the, the early to mid nineties. And it's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting look at for me, like what could have been, what maybe should have been, what in hindsight, what changes and what things seem so obvious. And like just some of these like really, really wicked moments in, in video game history. And like, you know, we'll, we'll focus on, on some of the big players and like some of the decision makers we will focus on some of the events. What I did is I just kind of jotted down some talking points and some memorable spots from the documentary. We're not going to walk you through it, uh, you know, beat by beat. I really recommend everybody go and check it out on CBS All Access. Um, it's it's worth it just to watch this documentary alone. But um, yeah, so this was this was a really like for me. I'm just I'm so interested in this concept of like the console wars, like the competition between the two brands, particularly on the Nintendo side, because it's such a secretive company. And like this, I mean, it was certainly like a, a more insight into Sega, but like you do get a little bit of insight into Nintendo as well. And it's just so fascinating to see like mm-hmm. the, the, the happenings and like the, the inner workings of, of these consoles in their, in their early heyday and the evolution of video games along the way. So I was like, I was very excited for the book. I was very excited for the documentary and uh, I have I have a lot of cool stuff, I think, that uh, that I found really cool about this. What about you, Goo? Yeah, yeah, it was cool to see that. Cause I, so I've, like, you know, I know, I, I watch stuff like, you know, like the video game historian on YouTube, who actually, like, did a, a review of the book. But, uh, you know, I've kind of familiarized with myself with some of these stories throughout the years, because it's so, it's so interesting, like, Stuff that they, you know, in this movie, you can only kind of scratch the surface on, you know, like, you know, you have to, like, sum up certain things because you only have yeah. so long. But any, but apart from that, though, what, you know, I've never really seen before is just, like, some of these actual people speaking, you know, like, when I watch these videos on YouTube, it's just like, you know, and then the head of Nintendo of America said this, and it was cool to see, like, you know, people I've seen pictures and stuff of, but like the actual people kind of like talking yeah. about it. Just, just as, just not even for like, I obviously they have their own unique insight, but really just to kind of put a real face to the name, Faces, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, I was really impressed with like how many former Nintendo employees they were able to get because like, like that's such a secretive company, right? Like, yeah. Um, I don't know but if they're all from it, like a different era now, story. you know? Like they don't, yeah, they're all retired. They don't work there, but I like still. It's just not something that you see a lot. And like, mm-hmm. um, I was watching High Score, and like you, I think the best that they could kind of scrub up was like one former game tester or something like that when they were talking about Nintendo. And like, 
here you've got like the heavy hitters. You've got like Howard Lincoln, Peter Main, George Harrison, Gail Tilden. Like you've got like the, yeah. the decision makers. Um, there is a notable name that's absent, which we'll get to in a bit. But <laughs> uh, I, mean, I was really like impressed with like the roster of people that they assembled, and on the Sega side too. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned. Um, what was the Sega the main guy? It kind of followed. What was his name? Uh, Tom Kalinsky. Tom Kalinsky. Uh, it's interesting. I didn't know the book was like more a narrative, which is kind of a cool way to present that. Um, this story, I mean, this had a narrative that kind of followed him in the company, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, it's kind of the 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 film itself was a little bit more like it was cool to see all the interviews, but in terms of how it was as a documentary, it was a bit more just like your kind of generic talking heads, yeah. you know. Um, I've definitely seen more like f- from an actual like filmmaking perspective, like more interesting documentaries or like, you know, that could kind of get some something more interesting across other than like delivery of information, I think. <laughs> but um, it was still very entertaining and stuff like that. And I I like that, it you know, it did the best it could with the book format and kind of did follow this guy through like a, like almost his story in a way. Yeah, it's it's very much uh Tom Kalinsky's story. Though um both both the book and the documentary. Yeah. Though it did kind of make me wish like that there was like instead like a like a Ken Burns like long form series about this where you could like get into all of it, you know? Like where you could talk yeah. about cuz like they they do just go like oh, there was like a ET game and that that's what uh, there's there's so much stuff that they just kind of gloss over here or it's not which, even which i mean fully i understand like, but there there it's not even fully like accurate because you don't get the whole picture it's not inaccurate either but it's like you know what i mean like the et game didn't like single-handedly right. kill the atari or whatever you know it's all this right. stuff or you know and then at the end of the it's like and then there was the playstation you know it's like i would love to just uh, so- see every detail you know that that was actually my biggest critique of this documentary, and and I understand why they did it because, you know, like you like you said, you only have an hour and a half, right? But like, um, Console Wars was like very much the story of Sega versus Nintendo, but also versus Sony. Yeah, and th- like Sony existed as a direct reflection of like Sega and Nintendo, and like them butting heads, and like it, they they don't spend enough time on the the Sony aspect, and yeah. that, that's too bad. There's a lot they, they, of stuff with like the development of CD technology yeah. and video games. They don't really ta- will talk say, about. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I was just gonna say that I will say that they they do spend a little bit more time on the Sony side in the book. Oh, I'm I mean, sure. Obviously, yeah. like yeah, like they don't. So they kind of jump to like straight to the Sega Saturn. They don't really talk about like the 32X or like the Sega CD, which would you know the CD stuff would be totally interesting to talk about because it i'm thinking from a storytelling perspective like too like them them and nintendo working with these cd companies like so sony and philips and all that stuff is like it's like that's great foreshadowing for what ends up beating both of them you know yeah but uh it's 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 unbelievable like both of them had the chance to kind of stop this juggernaut and both of them just like let it happen Right. It's actually unbelievable. 
Right. And I, I only mean this as like a mild criticism because I still, you know, I was thoroughly entertained watching this. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I also did I, find it like I, I could get behind like Sega as like this underdog, but like I, I didn't really like I wasn't really invested in like Tom Kalinske. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, he's an expert marketer. Like he made he marketed Barbies well. Like I'm like, OK, I, I don't I don't care. You know, like I think he's an interesting guy or whatever, but like, you know, <laughs> following I his mean, story. It, like, it, like it is a documentary about executives, right? Like, yeah, how interesting is a lot of this stuff? Well, I don't know. Like, it depends on how much like you find the history of video games and consoles and stuff interesting. But like, I mean, like, yeah, like we're really talking about a, a series of like because you have to understand, like, Sega of America was really just a marketing, and in Sega and Nintendo of America too. Both of them were just like basically yeah. the marketing portions of the real video game companies, which are both based in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Which was kind of interesting to see that dynamic. Um, there, There is something that I do want to talk about later in here, though, which is actually touches on that, which they did not delve into in the movie, but they did in the book, which oh, I want to okay. get your opinion on. Um, but, you know, I think, first of all, I the, so the first thing that I noticed in the book and in this documentary is this is definitely written it's kind of like last week how we said avp was written by a predator uh <laughs> this is definitely written by someone at sega like this is very pro sega very well, yeah. like anti-nintendo kind of a documentary yeah i mean is is that true about the author do you know because <laughs> uh, i i could see I, that i don't know actually no i don't i could see that but i also i also just kind of see it as like what makes for a better story and it's like they're trying to paint Sega as like the underdog, so it like makes sense. And like, oh yeah, yeah. I I don't even think that that's a bad thing. It's just like, I think you're right. Like it's the underdog stories, but but like it's very, you know, it's very like let's go Sega, take Nintendo down, kind of a story. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I I actually kind of liked it because as a Nintendo fan, and like a lot of people I interact with are Nintendo fans. There is sometimes a lot of like like forgiveness and kind of forgetting that Nintendo at the end of the day, they're like a company that's trying to make money and they will at times do things that aren't good for the consumer. Right. And this, right. this is like a good reminder of it. And there's more stories that you can, that you could even include from this time period from after this time period, you know, that are, that are a good like reminder of that. I'm not saying like they need to be painted as villains or whatever, but you know, just right but on the flip side like if say if sega was on top like they would have done all the same stuff so oh yeah <laughs> they're both just um, trying to trying to beat the competition at the end of the day i think so we're gonna kind of jump around here with just some of the points i jotted down um actually my first thing goo is like my my question was like are you were you a nintendo or a sega kid i think i know the answer yeah n- definitely nintendo yeah. i mean i didn't i didn't have much uh opportunity to play I, non-Nintendo stuff. I have owned one Sega console in my lifetime. <laughs> Can you guess which one it was? Uh, Game Gear? Nope. Do you have a Dreamcast? Nope. Oh my god. Was it the <laughs> retro the, Sega I console? The fucking Sega Saturn. No kidding. That's messed I, up. I, I shit you not. And, and... The only game that we had for it, we had two games. We had Virtua Fighter and Street Fighter the movie. Whoa. That's so yeah. sick. 
I had, so, yeah. um, I did a little bit of uh, computer gaming as a kid, and um, you know that was usually like Sim City or whatever. But I did have, uh, Sonic 3D Blast, and I had oh, uh, yeah. Sonic 3 and Knuckles on my computer as a kid. So I did play, I did play a lot of Sonic, particularly Sonic 3, which is a sick game. But and then like occasionally would you know be at someone's house. But not a lot of people I knew even had had like a Genesis. But I, I, you know, I played some like Shaq Fu back in the day. Oh, roll tide on <laughs> Shaq Fu! I knew someone who had Shaq Fu, and that's all I can really remember playing. I, you know, I never got into Sega like at all. I, I want to say that my first Sonic game was like maybe it was Sonic Advance or like Sonic Adventure. Like it was late uh. down the line of like starting a Sonic game and finishing, and like I. I I just don't I don't think that Sonic games are are that good. Even like the first two, like the one two Knuckles, whatever that those ones are, like I just like I I don't necessarily like Ooh. them very much. I I do like them a lot, but I do think it's kind of a like a limited se- like series. Like when they try when they've tried to like go beyond it, it's not been good in my opinion. And then like the best thing they could make was just, like, Sonic Mania, which is awesome, but it's just, like, doing that again, you know? Like, they haven't really made something beyond the first, the Genesis-era Sonic games that, to me, are very good. Yeah, you know, one of the themes that I would say is consistent for Sega is, like, they had a lot of short-term success, but they weren't able to, like, change with the times. And, like, that's... Like, you, you look at Mario, and, like, he... You know, he's changed from Mario 3 to Mario World to 64 to, I mean, even up to Odyssey. Like, it's just continual change. Like, I feel like Sonic has stayed in place. Even Like, he's running fast, but he's running in place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, the they just, they didn't translate it to 3D well either, so that doesn't help. <laughs> um. So, yeah, one thing that kind of, uh, I, I'm glad that you brought this up about, like, E.T. and the video game crash, because, like, Throughout this documentary, uh, and I and I'm a Nintendo homer. I'm gonna defend Nintendo a little bit here. Probably gonna apologize for them a little bit here. But like, throughout the the documentary, like Nintendo is painted as like arrogant, really. Like they're so dominant, they're so powerful that like they are arrogant and, and they call the shots. And like, I I think that this documentary didn't do maybe as good a job as it could have of explaining why Nintendo was so strict with a lot of this stuff. Um, because like they, I mean, they alluded to the video game crash of, of the early eighties and stuff. And they, they kind of glossed over the fact that like Nintendo brought it back, but they really kind of skimped over the strategy of that with like Nintendo brought it back by implementing the Nintendo seal of quality and like only telling publishers that like you can only make like X amount of games per year or else the market is going to get flooded with all this shit again and we're going to be in, in the same boat. So, like, they were controlling, definitely, but the video game industry at the time was in such disarray that, like, it needed to be controlled and regulated by someone, you know, at, and at that time, that was Nintendo. And by doing that, they revived the video game industry, allowing someone like Sega to have their success that they had. I think I think that's what they were trying to pull off when they do the flashback. Like, they weren't always doing this thing you know like or like they were trying to show how like how they brought it all back like i think that was 
kind of trying to be like the minor face turn moment for them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was okay. I just think like, yeah, I think with the setup for how they brought it back, that could have been definitely expanded upon. But then also like, yeah, going into the ending, I think they could have shown how they're, they're not like how them also being kind of stuck or like committing to their specific, whatever vision of like, the cartridge or whatever could have been like, well, then Sony came along and kind of blew him out of the water. You know, I think they could have done both with like better with both ends of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll, I'll say too that the book kind of leaves off where the, like where the doc did as well. So really the, the book and the documentary only take us into about early to late 1996. And after that, like in 97 is where Sony really starts to dominate mm-hmm. and like, you know, we, we don't get to see that whole story, which is something I would love, love, love to see. Yeah. I um, mean, that's kind of the thing is like, it's the story just continues on until now, you know? Yeah. And like, this is really that, you know, this really focuses on the Game Gear and on the Super Nintendo era of, of consoles. Like they, um, they don't focus on the next gen stuff aside from the Saturn. Really, they don't focus on next gen stuff a whole lot. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like when I was a kid, like Super Nintendo was, was the only thing. Like I didn't know anybody with a Game Gear. I, I didn't want an, a Game Gear. I didn't like, it just wasn't, it wasn't even a thing to me, but like to me, like everybody, if you had a Super Nintendo, you were awesome. You had friends over at your place. Like I remember playing Super Mario World, um, Donkey Kong Country. And like, that was the shit when I was a kid, uh-huh. like, I don't know about you, but like I, I just didn't know anybody with a Game Gear. Or with a Genesis, you mean? Oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. thinking the, the Genesis. I, I actually knew someone with a Game Gear. See, and I was there like, there you Whoa. go. That's that's <laughs> like the that's my point right there. Like I, I'm just like not a Sega kid, not a Sega guy, like at all. I, I have sort of a different experience with this period because like when I was just like when I was like okay, I was like three years old in like 1993. So this is like in the middle of this, but I, you know, I was just so young and I didn't know any better. I, I was just playing like super Mario brothers on the NES. You know, I, I didn't own a video game console. And then by the time I was like, of like actually getting my own stuff age, it was like game boy, Nintendo 64, like in, you know, 1996 or whatever. So like, right. I, my experience was more like, um, having that and then having friends who had like a PlayStation, you know? So, yeah. so that's, I like, I remember people having, like, I knew someone with a super Nintendo. I remember like playing Donkey Kong country and I knew someone with like a Genesis, but like, I mostly just remember playing like Mario Kart and golden eye and, you know, like, Tony Hawk on someone's PlayStation, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I didn't like fully live through this console war. You know, I was more on the, the PlayStation versus Nintendo bandwagon. Yeah. And, and like, I, to be, to be honest too, like I, I'm a few years older than you, but even to me, it was like when I really started getting into video games, we it, like, it was already like my, my first, like, 
you know, my big console was the N64, and that's when I was just like, okay, I, I fucking love video games. Like, this is my thing. Uh-huh. And like, yeah, by that time, it was like PlayStation versus versus like N64. Like, like the Saturn and like Sega wasn't even a thing anymore. Like, by the and when the Dreamcast came out, it was like, it was mm-hmm. not even a viable option. You know what I mean? It was just like so distant. Though, yeah, I feel like I've heard good good things about like some of the Dreamcast catalog. It looks pretty good, I think. It just like that's oh yeah, that's a thing. One of my favorite games is on the Dreamcast, Skies of Arcadia. There you go. Yeah, I just feel like they could have um they could have talked about that because part of isn't the part of the story there was like they had the Genesis, then like the 32X and the CD that attached to it. Then right. a new console r- r- that they rushed, which they talk about in that. But then they don't even really talk about the Genesis. And, and like, when the Genesis comes out, it's like, well, you just, like, had all these other... We spent all this money on all your, you know, consoles and peripherals. Like, no, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and, like, I mean, that's kind of the drawback of this being Tom Kalinske's stories. Like, when he resigns in 96, like, you know, we don't get to see... Uh, any of the Dreamcasts, we don't get to see kind of the. I mean, I mean, the damage was done to the to the sure, Saturn. Like yeah. that was that was dead on arrival. So you didn't really need to see anything else. But like, um, you know, <laughs> you you don't get to see the next step in that. How I wanted it is, to end was with Mario and Sonic at the Olympics, and acting like that is like a high water mark <laughs> of gaming. Oh my god! Let's talk about let's talk about Sonic uh, for a second. Yeah, I I loved in the book, and I love now in this documentary, just like the, the, uh, creation and surrounding of Sonic the Hedgehog. I, I, it's just like, it's so crazy to think because like, you know, Sonic was created in what, like 1990s, like by the, I was three years old. Um, so Sonic has always been there for me, but it's like, imagine like you, you can't imagine Sega without Sonic and like them trying to compete with Nintendo with Nintendo without their like flagship character is just so wild. And like, it seems so obvious to think that like it, that like you needed that character and like, it's, you know, it, it's, it's weird to think of like Alex kid. Yeah. He right. was previously <laughs> like this, the Sega guy. Um, I love that. Like, so in the book, Al Nielsen, who we don't get to spend a ton of time with in the documentary, but like, he's a very important, very likable character uh, in the book. And like, he kind of puts his, his finishing touches on Sonic and like, just kind of, brings him to life to me and like in more of like a figurative sense. And like, um, I, I thought that that was really cool just to see like, you know, this answer to, to Mario. Um, I just, I, I thought that it was cool. They, they, and I don't even like Sonic. <laughs> they drew, um, like an, a very apt distinction between them. They talked about how like Nintendo was kind of Disney ish. And that's, that's kind of how I think of like Mario is he's like, of the video game world, he's like the Mickey Mouse or whatever, you know? Just kind of like... Yeah. Like, he doesn't really speak to... Like, I don't even think of him, like, think of Mario and think of, like, oh, that's a character from the 80s. You know what I mean? He's just, like, a timeless character because it's so strange. He's kind of strange as a character. <laughs> um, yeah. But Sonic is, like, so of the 90s, which they talked about. They're like... Like, they're like Disney, and then Sonic is like the edgy 90s guy, you know? And I love that. And I, I, love and that. I think that's why he's had a hard time. That's true, you know? too. Yeah. Because Mario's timeless, but Sonic. I I mean, I kind of think that, like, Sonic is timeless, too, actually, but. I th- uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think that. I think that it just comes down to the games. Why, like, 
you know, Sonic, Sonic just has such a, a spotty history of like mm-hmm. games. And I don't know I'm saying that every Mario game has been fantastic. They haven't, but like the ones that matter have all been awesome. And I feel like there were a string of games for Sonic that were just like really bad. Yeah. Like I feel like, I think timeless could describe Sonic, but I feel like, I feel like he's more of like, he is of a time, but like when they embrace it and do it well, it's be- a beautiful thing. Like I think in Sonic mania where you have those animations they're like those animated scenes that look kind of classic and you have this like nineties retro sounding music, but it's so well produced and like, Oh, it's just, it's gorgeous, you know? And, and you just like, it's like, makes you feel like, that time it makes you feel like your childhood even but it's like not it's like how you remember it even though it's not how it was like that's how i feel like sonic is timeless but like it's not when <laughs> you give shadow <laughs> a gun and a motorcycle you know like that's no or turn sonic into a fucking werewolf like that right. was horrible that felt like how do we keep we got to keep it up we got to keep his edge up and you it's like you know what like sonic Sonic was meant to seem edgy, but he's not really actually all that edgy. He's like a cute little hedgehog, you know, and he's got cute little animal friends, you know. So I want to I want to talk for a second just about like Sega and like like I said, like Sega of America is really just marketing. So like a lot of this is like marketing moves and stuff like that. So I have I have two questions for you here. First, what do you think was like Sega and Tom Kalinske's best move? Because there's there's a few that I think that they had that were really hmm. awesome. Like I think that their Welcome to the Next Level campaign was really awesome. I think that the Sega Scream was awesome. I think like <laughs> making up blast processing out of thin air and just pulling <laughs> that, that out bullshit, of their ass yeah. was like it, it, it's so fantastic. And I think that all that was good. But for me, I think and this kind of bleeds into my second question for you. But like I think the best thing that they were able to do, which is ultimately it kind of what led to their downfall almost I feel like but they were able to make Nintendo seem uncool because they were like the giant like the juggernaut you know mm-hmm. um, but what do you think what do you think was like their their absolute best move um I think I do think like it's it's like maybe a tie between like just drawing a distinction but from between them and Nintendo you know whether it's better or worse it's like well they're it's a different type of product but I think mainly, I do think the Sonic thing and like also the idea of like making that in there with the console, you know, like packaged in with the console. So just having like, like a must have game on your console is, is to me such a good move. Right. Cause that's, so that's like, what what do you think when you're going to get this? Like, what am I going to play on it? You know, I, I have kind of, I don't know, like a theory or just an observation, I guess maybe. And I want your take on this. Okay. So I, I think that like all of, almost all of Sega's marketing was like super well done and it was super awesome. Like it's they were great, really yeah. taken, they were taking the fight to Nintendo. Right. Mm. But I think that that's the kind of marketing that you can only do when you're in second place. And I think that when they got to that level where like they were competing or they were as big as Nintendo, like they just didn't seem edgy. They didn't seem cool anymore. And I think that that really backfired. Like once, once they, you know, their whole thing was like raging against the machine, but like once they became part of the machine, it's like, I feel like that's where it kind of lost a little bit of its luster. And Sega wasn't like 
as cool, you know, as it once was. And like, obviously I'm not saying that's what led to their demise. There's a ton of other stuff that did, but like, to me, I just, I feel like their marketing campaign was like strictly something that only like a a second place company could do because you you see Nintendo and they like, they, they kind of are almost like, if I'm going to use the wrestling analogy, they're like the WWE, but Mm -hmm. way classier, but like they, they don't acknowledge the competition or they didn't for a long time. You never let them see you sweat. Like, and I feel like Sega was the opposite of that, but then couldn't sustain that once they became as big. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, Nintendo almost has this vibe of like, well, we're just going to do our thing and weather the storm because it, it'll, you know, stick to our guns. Whereas like, um, Sega, it's more like not, not reactionary because they're not like reacting to them, but it's, it's definitely like they're they're drawing the distinctions like i said but like yeah once you get your foot in the door it's like you have to have your own identity apart from being not nintendo maybe i think i think they they showed that clip of like the crash bandicoot ad um which is like such a similar kind of style of marketing where he's like got the megaphone right and it was the exact same thing but then i feel like sony more clearly developed an identity beyond you know being this new thing you know and now we think of the playstation and playstation 2 you know as like these iconic consoles with kind of their own you know you think of some yeah. of the awesome games that they've had over the years you know they ide- like, they I, got I a brand like that they... wasn't just we don't like nintendo yeah, yeah. And I think that's my point is like they, you know, they did do that with Crash initially to say, like, come play our game. To get some bugs, yeah. It it evolved past that. And like they, I mean, there was also another, you know, plethora of things that that contributed to Sony's success. But like they had their their own campaign beyond, like you said, like we're not Nintendo and like come play our shit. And and I, I just feel like Sega never really, I don't know. I feel like they were very focused on what everyone else was doing. I mean, the Sega Saturn, like, good good God, like, you know, like, you, you kind of see the proof in the pudding where Nintendo sticks to its guns and um, doesn't release the Nintendo 64 and Sega panics. And I, we'll cover the Sega Saturn in a little bit, but I think that that's a good example, maybe. Um, yeah. One one thing that uh, that I want to talk about here for, um, for a quick second is uh, Donkey Kong Country. And uh, the book... I thought did a really cool job of um, of kind of outlining like how how important Donkey Kong Country was to Nintendo at this time because in 1993 and even 1992 when the game is being developed, um, Nintendo was losing ground rapidly, and they like we alluded to Nintendo of America is really the marketing uh, arm behind Nintendo. All the games get made in Japan, and Donkey Kong Country was such a a success on so many different levels and the most important level is because it took and i can't remember his name um i should have looked it up in my book but it's packed away but a developer from rare went Mm. and pitched and rare is a uk-based company they went and pitched nintendo of japan and nintendo of america let us make this game for you we have and they show uh briefly in the documentary kind of the technology that they use to make donkey kong country but they show him basically over the course of a year chip away and finally convinced Nintendo to let them make this Donkey Kong Country game 
And when it comes out, it's like just a smash success. It sells like 30 million copies and really, really turns the fortunes of the Super Nintendo around. You see the big, like the big outdoor expedition or whatever with like Peter Main and they're, they're kind of shooting Sonic or whatever. And like, that was a big moment kind of centered around Donkey Kong again, because Donkey Kong was revealed at that uh, presentation. That was a big moment where Nintendo, like, I think they used the phrase in the documentary, like the giant is waking up. And like, to me, the, the willingness to go with someone else to make Donkey Kong country, you're acknowledging your competition. You have your, your big guns out there. Um, Donkey Kong country was really, really important yeah. to Nintendo. So I I just wanted to give it a little bit of love in, well, of course uh, in our show would. at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, they made 3 of those games too for Super Nintendo, so clearly a hit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it was yeah, just awesome. It was interesting to see how like they and I wish I could remember his name, but like it just the story of uh, the developer just like grinding away at Nintendo to let them produce a game outside of Japan. I thought was just a very like interesting story and interesting uh, look into Nintendo's I, psyche, if you will. I think that's too also like a key to Nintendo. Obviously, even through this day, how they can kind of weather a lot of storms is that they just have this whole plethora of characters they can draw from these beloved series. Now, I, I mean, there are there are other great Sega series and ones that were on the Genesis, you know, but like. They don't really, Yeah. they just don't, it's just not the same, you know, uh, they don't have, I'm sure, I don't know about in the book, but there's just not much talking about their games, I think, other than no. Sonic. I mean, what do they have? They have, like, Alex Kidd, they have Echo the Dolphin, they, I mean, um, um, what, what? you know, there was a line that really stuck out to me in the documentary where I think Howard Lincoln, um, the chairman of Nintendo, had said you know, Sega makes pretty games, but they're all lousy. And, like, I feel like that's my kind of opinion on Sega, or at least, like, old Sega, is, and maybe I'm just a brainwashed Nintendo <laughs> fanboy, but, like, I just, I feel like their games are, have never been that good. Um, Yeah, there, I mean, I think there are some stuff that have persisted, you know, but, like, I don't know, I when I think of, like, Sega games... Uh, I think of, I actually think of stuff that was developed when um, other than Sonic, like when they were not really making consoles anymore. Like I think of like Yakuza or something, you know. I'd like I think of Skies of Arcadia, yeah, yeah. which wasn't, okay. and that was just published by Sega. That wasn't even like a Sega developed game, but like, which is one of my favorite games. But I mean, yeah, like I just like I feel like I still I'm not like in love with Sega games. Although it didn't, they make F Zero. That was that was kind of cool. They did. That was kind of oh, neat. I I thought I think they made. I think it was Sega. I think they made F Zero GX oh, okay. on the GameCube. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, anyways. I'm looking at a list, and there's some. You know, I'm not going to go through them, but there are some of these games I've heard people go to bat for. I can't personally, but I, you know, I think they're. Like I think if you were a Sega, you know, consumer, you know, post Sonic or whatever, that there's there's some good stuff that that was provided like it you know like genesis the reason it was popular beyond the marketing i think is because yeah it like you can't have a good a console that everyone gets into if it doesn't have good games you know what i mean like if they bought it and it didn't it just had a bunch of shitty games like it would have immediately failed you know 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. And one thing that the documentary points out, too, is, like, uh, Tom Kalinske was very... He he liked to license games. Like, he liked to license NFL games and movies and stuff. And I think that, like, of the 90s, you know, in the 90s, like, that was a very good... It was a good way to get kids to play, like, video games and stuff. Yeah. But I, I maybe wonder if that's kind of where the stigma comes from, because a lot of those games obviously aren't very good. But I'm thinking there's, like, those ones that people are, like... Like the Aladdin game they showed in the documentary, people are really fond of that. Um, uh, yeah, that game whips ass, actually. Yeah, there was the there was like a Mickey Mouse game. I remember that people uh, like a platformer people liked. So like, um, Castle of Illusion. Yes. Yeah, that game whips ass too. Yeah, some of this stuff like I know there was also licensed games eventually on Super Nintendo. Maybe as like a response, mm. but let's talk about Sonic Two for a second, just really briefly. Uh, really cool. Like this is the first ever worldwide game release. I, I think that that's such a cool idea that Sega did. I love that actually. <laughs> yeah, they pointed that out that that like doesn't might seem like normal now because I was like, okay, so what? <laughs> yeah, like, and it's uh, Sonic Tuesday, and it comes out on a on a fucking Tuesday. I mean, how wow. how good is that? Yeah. Like, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And, and you know, one one thing that I almost forgot um, is is Mortal Kombat. And, like, what a one important video game in video game history. Like, because when I think of Mortal Kombat, I always think of, like, the, the violence and, like, how it kind of led to the ESRB. But I always forget, like, that it also kind of helped Sega... Uh, overtake nintendo and like kind of gave nintendo that that quote-unquote kitty image because they censored it yeah um, that, so it, that's like, i always forget that part that's like i th- i would think in, if i was to say like what are the three important top three like important things to remember from this documentary like that's definitely in there because that's a key to drawing the distinction between sega and nintendo you know was like Mm-hmm. Uh, here, the here's the thing for like the older kids, you know. Yeah, it's like totally. And and I um, like, and it, and it made Nintendo seem uncool. Yes, and it it did so show some of the some of the stuff of them in front of Congress or whatever, and you know we every every gamer <laughs> uh gets behind, you know we want to get behind that because we're like screw these guys trying to ruin our games. But then what I think is, and and I agree with that, because I'm like, these freaking ghouls who are, (laughs) they're (laughs) responsible for so much more human misery than, you know, Sega or Nintendo ever could be. But uh, they want to come and talk about video games ruining people's lives. But anyway, (laughs) besides that, what I think is interesting is, as a gamer, you're like, you want to like stick up for them, right? But when they get up there... Nintendo especially, but both of them are like they're just trying to throw the other one under the bus. You know what I mean? Like Oh yeah. Like like Nintendo doesn't, you know, or whatever. They don't care about like what censorship or not. They just they just want to screw over the other guy to help their business, you know? That that was like the biggest fuck you in the entire documentary is when Bill White as Howard Lincoln is burying Sega for, like, running uh, Mortal Kombat Uncensored, just pulls out the fucking Super Scope and is like, yeah, this is kid-friendly Nintendo here, getting you a sniper <laughs> rifle. That, like, man, what a, what a fuck you. Yeah, but you know what, Nit? Howard Lincoln, I feel like, really seemed like the real 
sh- shit heel in that one because he he was really laying into the censorship of Mortal Kombat and even like Joe Lieberman was like you're a decent guy <laughs> and I'm like oh Jesus. I I feel like he. He strikes me as like really likable, actually. He does. He and, does. I just in that particular instance of like what and, the companies are doing, I'm like, Ugh. oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. He's definitely fucking burying Sega for sure. <laughs> it, but I wonder, like, it's it's kind of in retrospect, it's it's possible to look back and say, like, you know, I think he was right actually, because like um, this is something that they don't touch on in the documentary either. But like in the book, they they kind of focus on Kalinsky and like, he's very kind of uneasy about this mortal Kombat thing. And he, he doesn't like violence in video games. And he actually, when he leaves Sega goes on and makes like educational children's games. Like he was very much not a fan of the violence and stuff. Uh-huh. So like, I, I think in the long term, like maybe even though Nintendo did run mortal Kombat two with all the blood and guts, like maybe, like maybe Lincoln was right. I don't know. No, no, the censorship. It's lame. It's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, well like lame and like maybe let me rephrase he was right in a sense of like it might be better to be i mean like you're gonna make more money at a pg-13 movie than a rated r movie right like right he, yeah i guess from a well from a business perspective and i guess if you're thinking about you know like the whole idea of them having to make these um ratings is they they got they did it before the government would jump in, you know? It's like the same right. reason now um like there's all this like uh self-regulation around like loot boxes and stuff because they don't want the government to get involved with that, you know? So it's like it not only makes sense from a business perspective like of who you're selling to, but also trying to avoid like punishment. <laughs> Yeah, that um, you know what? Sorry, I, I was just also wanted to say that this gives me one of my all-time favorite gaming history moments of of the droopy dog himself, Joe Lieberman, describing <laughs> Mortal Kombat fatalities. Just amazing. So, oh my, he's like, and then the guy pulls his skull and spinal cord from his body. <laughs> Lieberman was the same fucking doofus that went after wrestling too. The guy just seems like the biggest fucking screwdriver in yeah. the world. Yeah, that that's that's what politicians do and it's like you can just like drum up, you know, something for people to get uh concerned about so they don't worry about whatever shit you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh old old Joe is is still alive and kicking by the way. Uh, I wonder what I he actually, thinks about Mortal that. Kombat 11. This this motherfucker would have been the vice president, actually, to Al Gore in, yeah. uh, in the year 2000. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Fuck you, Joe. Well, I guess th- that would have been better than Dick Cheney, though. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> That's, you can't argue that. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, roll, roll Tide, by the way, to uh, the butthole surfers and the sweaty oh, nipples. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I forgot to mention them. They're the grunge bands that Nintendo fucking hired at this Donkey Kong presentation. So they're shooting <laughs> Sonic. They're they're burying Sega. They're that's they're so, in a safari, and they got the butthole surfers and the sweaty nipples. That's so like of the time, though. Like, yeah, they were they were like kind of on the pulse of what was cool, you know, like but butthole surfers at least, you know, were like kind of a like it's it's not like even too like it's not like 
Pearl Jam, you know what I mean? It's like kind of an underground <laughs> band. Uh, I've I, I have to admit I've never heard of the Butthole Surfers or the Sweaty Nipples. I've never heard of I've never heard of Sweaty Nipples, but uh, yeah, Butthole Surfers are pretty good. I mean, I've heard of Sweaty Nipples before, <laughs> but I've never heard conceptually. Of- <laughs> yeah, I, I I know the the feeling. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I've heard of a butthole. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> they're good. Uh, we'll we'll play some here in the in the transitions. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I'm I'm gonna do it again. I'm a Nintendo fanboy. I'm so sorry. Oh no. I think that it is a little bit unfair. Oh my that god. I think it's a little bit unfair that this documentary kind of says like, oh, Nintendo is is number two. I I don't. At, at no time was Nintendo as a company ever behind Sega because oh. Sega was still the shits in Japan. Uh, Nintendo was dominating in America. Yes, they did overtake them, but I do I do think it's unfair to say that like they, you know, they were number two because at at no point I, was that I, actually. I true. don't actually know like enough. I was just like, okay, I guess they were number two. <laughs> what is what is the metric based on? Was it like? console sales that year or something or uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure it was console sales maybe some software sales uh yeah because like you gotta think like when we think of the super nintendo um a link to the past legend of zelda link to the past it sold well it sold about four million copies but like zelda on the nes sold like seven million copies mm-hmm. um super metroid sold like 1 million copies metroid on the nes sold 3 million copies like like everything was down across the board yeah the nes was such a more of a phenomenon i feel like too and they sort of show and it seems it seems so quaint now but they do play um some of the clips and you can find even more of people at the time when the super nintendo came out being like wow they already want us to like ditch our other our other console like it's obsolete you know like what the fuck yeah you know i wrote that down actually i skipped right by it and i'm glad that you brought that up like i don't know what if if they had made the super nintendo backwards compatible like i mean good god that that would have been i i think it would have been unstoppable nobody would have been coming close because like you know, you you already have all these games that you would have already had for the Super Nintendo. Parents are being like, okay, well, I'm going to buy my kid this new Nintendo instead of this Sega thing because we already have all this shit anyways. Like, if mm. they'd have just made it that would have probably compatible. Helped. I still think, like, people would have been like, because now we're so used to it, but they would have been like, why would I buy this? I Like, I already have, you know, why do you want me? To, oh, I can't play these new games because I have to have your new thing that's, like, hundreds of dollars? You know, that's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, Nintendo, they, they got um, sued for, like, antitrust. Really? And, oh, okay. Uh, or uh, maybe not antitrust in the right word. Like, basically, they got sued for monopolizing. Um, and then they, they they allude to it in the in the documentary where, like, they have to pay a fine and then they give all of their customers, like, a $5 coupon. And that's part of their payout. Mm. But, like, they, they spend the $5 coupon on more Nintendo shit. It's actually genius. I actually, so I'll, I never really, I can't forget, it's one of my, like, only memories from when I'm, like, three or four or whatever, because I can't remember anything from my life, but I remember being at my aunt's house, and she came home from a garage sale, and so this is, like, in 94 or whatever, 93, where you could, you know, 
the SNES was in full swing, and she came back from a garage sale, and she said, "Oh yeah, I got a, I got a Super Nintendo. Pretty cool." And it's it's like when everybody called everything a GameCube or an Xbox or whatever, because she pulled right. out an NES, and I didn't know. I was just like, "Oh yeah, it's like a Nintendo. Okay," <laughs> but like, yeah, I just remember like for years calling it a Super Nintendo until I like realized what a Super Nintendo was. <laughs> but I never knew really knew anyone with a Super Nintendo until later, so I, I never was embarrassed, you know. But I could totally see a bunch of people at the time, similar to, like, Wii and Wii U, being like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. And it's, it, it, it's weird because I wouldn't call that necessarily a fuck-up, but, like, when... Um, it's less of a, of a say- confusing thing, I think. Yeah, but like Sega did the same shit too with their uh, what, what was their add-on, the CD add-on. Yeah, the and like I, that CD. was that was just like confusing as well because people were like, "Is this a new console? Is it not? Like, what's yeah, for it? and blah, the thirty-two X and the thirty-two X. You just yeah. have all these and attachments I, to your console. They they do expand a little bit on that in the in the book. Um, it's kind of the toll that that took as well. But like, let's let's actually talk about Sega. Of Japan versus Sega of America, because that's a narrative that the book, that the book and the documentary kind of, you know, put into into focus is like, um, essentially, if you believe kind of the account of of all the Sega of America people <laughs> is like, Sega of Japan was was so jealous of their success that they started undercutting them, which seems ridiculous. Yeah, but like some of these decisions that they made were like just bonkers that's where i like i would like more information because it's like it's it's fine for the story or whatever but it it is like we got this guy this barbie guy he's so cool every time he has a meeting with executives he always is like zinging them with like amazing perfect one-liners and like oh yeah all of his ideas are winners he's never flawed this is you know this is Tom's story for sure, and it's and it's told like that, and it's written like that, and and like there are there are like objective like business decisions you can look that Sega as a company made and be like, yeah, that definitely happened, but uh, it's just his account is sometimes like a little like okay guy, like I'm sure that's exactly how it went. I'm sure they got so mad every time you gave them one of your perfect ideas, you know? Yeah, um, and and like I kind of noticed that too, especially when he said like you know, they were trying to undermine us. Like I, I mean, who knows, right? Like what actually would actually happen, but like as a business, like if, if Sega of America is, is selling like hotcakes, like that doesn't really have anything to do with Sega of Japan. It doesn't matter. I mean, beyond like the really childish, like, like you're, you're jealous of their success. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think that like, I view it as probably similar to like, how Nintendo was only they're actually having to like work with them, which is like, you know, they, they had their, probably had their own ideas of what would make them successful, especially in Japan. And they, I, I don't know. I just like, don't feel like they were probably undermining them. I feel like they probably just didn't take, you know, they were in charge of them and they didn't take all their advice that they probably, they probably should have, you know? Um, Oh, definitely. But yeah, it doesn't seem like, they were just like, we're going to fuck up our whole company because we're jealous of our marketing team in America. I, I think that the narrative, the underlying narrative that they don't, they, they kind of allude to this in the book, but not so much in the documentary, but like 
the underlying narrative is like the American way of, of marketing and the American way of capitalism trumps the, the traditional Japanese kind of way of, of doing business. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of what they're pushing. And they, they kind of say like, you know, if Japan had just kind of adopted this, uh, this philosophy as us, they would have been far more successful. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it's just like, okay, well, Sega of Japan's role is like you make the games. Like Sega of America's role is like you sell the games overseas. Like they shouldn't have too much correlation. Um, Japan is just such a different beast that like it, it does. It seems like a little bit of a stretch to say that like, you know, they're undermining them. But I mean, there are decisions that are undoubtedly horrible decisions that, you know, it, that Sega of Japan makes. Yeah, it seems like they were with what they were giving and like these console decisions they were making. It was probably like impossible to market some of these things you know like oh we got the saturn so soon and it's this much money you know like how are you gonna how are you yeah. gonna market that you know like and that's something they do show kind of well is like that he struggled to come up with even even as skilled as he is like he struggled to yeah, come up with I'd... how to market these things I, yeah i mean let's just talk about it because we're here we're kind of at the end of the dock um my my question was gonna be like what was Sega's worst move? And I think that there are two glaring obvious answers that you could pick either one, you'd be hundred percent right. What but, are they? Well, I mean, the first one is Sega not partnering with Sony. Which yeah. seems like and Nintendo for that Nintendo matter too, too also yeah. had the opportunity to partner with Sony. That's just it's so unbelievable that both of them had the chance to to take Sony and like, you know, have them working under them. And like, because they both didn't do it. uh, it, It's actually comical to think that like (laughs) Nintendo could have had Sony. They could have prevented PlayStation from ever happening. And instead they got the fucking CDI Zelda games, you know? like Oh God. um, The documentary focuses a lot on Steve race, uh, who is the former Sega uh, I think he was the president of marketing or something like that. And he, he defects over to Sony and uh, it doesn't re- I think it mentions him, but it doesn't mention, or it doesn't stay with him a lot. But Olaf Olofsson, um, who are very important players in like the Sony side of things. <laughs> I wanted and, like, to know I, more I feel about like Olaf. That's, <laughs> I did. It, dude, I, I actually cannot recommend this book enough because you do learn more about our boy Olaf. It, like he's very, very interesting. He's, uh, he's an interesting guy, but just kind of the, the, the frustration of Sony and their whole thing was like, okay, we have the technology, but we don't have the software. And like, eventually like, it's just funny to see that like, they're so fed up with Nintendo and Sega both that they're like, fuck it. We'll create the software. And like, we'll have a little bit of, you know, speed bumps along the way, but like, we've got this, we've got the hardware and we're confident in that. And it's just like, fuck, what could have been? Yeah. And it probably, it didn't hurt. Like, cause Sega, they're, they're coming out of like I don't what did Sega do? They 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 were they created to make like the Master System and then the Genesis, you know? Like did they like Nintendo was a company before they were Nintendo, right? right. Sega like oh, they uh, made uh arcade games. Yeah. They yeah, and like pinball, um which they still do. Uh there are all these Sega I, I've been to all these cool like Sega arcades in Japan actually. But I guess what I what I'm getting at is like Sony has so much to back them up, you know what I mean? Like as a company, you know, it makes me think of how like 
Amazon now can like afford to like bust into all these markets because like they just have so much capital to fall back on that they can like afford to fail at certain things. Not saying that Sony really failed. They kind of knocked it out of the park with the PlayStation, but you know what I mean? Like they, that's, that's literally what Microsoft did with the first Xbox. They lost money on everyone. They there sold. you go. Yeah. So like these companies can like, they, yeah, they could afford to not really have to work with either of these guys. And that's what they did. You know, they, they just said, you know, we'll go our own way. Yeah. Well, was that a bigger mistake or is Sega's worst move the Sega Saturn disaster? I think that and like a combination with all of the add-ons and stuff like that. And then, you know, it totally like if if they had not done the Saturn and and some of this stuff and then like they eventually released the Dreamcast and you had these killer games on it or whatever and and stuff like that like it wasn't rushed and people hadn't already like spent all their money i bet you could probably it probably would have been a lot different you know so the story for anyone that that doesn't know this is the sega saturn was scheduled for release i think maybe holiday 95 so in in and around the same time that the sony playstation was and um Nintendo had made the decision to delay the Nintendo 64 because it wasn't ready. They had no games. And, you know, that would come out in uh, in 96, I think mid-96. And, you know, ultimately that turns out to be a good decision. The Nintendo 64 isn't the most successful, but at least it has good games and it sells, you know, 30 million units. But the Sega Saturn is pushed up for release by, like, six months. And this is a direct order from... Uh, Sega of Japan, it's pushed up to get a head start on the Sony PlayStation, but the problem is that there's no games, nobody's finished developing any games for the Sega Saturn, and nobody's finished developing on the Sega Saturns themselves, so there's no inventory. Mm-hmm. So you have a system that has, you know, quantity problems, inventory problems, nobody can get it, and if you do get it, there are zero games for it. And the thing was three ninety nine, so it was 100 bucks more than the Sony PlayStation. So, I mean, like, this was just, like, a reactionary, colossal yeah. fuck-up in, like, every way. And I, I get, I think I get why they wanted to rush it, because, like, compared to the other consoles, it it's it feels like a half-step, you know? But, um... Oh, yeah. I mean, so, what you know, what are the other options? I guess they could have scrapped it, and or whatever, and tried to make it something new. Like, I don't think delaying it a year would fix that. Um, or like, I don't know, you just sell, sell for cheap or like, you know, cause like an underpowered console can still be the most, the dominant one if you have like good games and stuff like, so maybe if they had delayed it and gotten, you know, some games for it that were good, um, I don't know, you know, maybe we'd, we'd still like, it still would have been competitive, you know, but I, I think like even with that, like, if it had been delayed and, like, worked on more, it's still not going to be able to go up against, like, whatever ended up being on PlayStation, like, Tomb Raider, Crash Bandicoot, Metal Gear, or, you know, yeah, Mario and Zelda. Final Fantasy, man. Yeah. Um, And, like, the... I, I can think of, like, one... I, I mean, I don't think there's a Sonic game on the Saturn. Maybe there is, I don't know. But, like, not a not a mainline one. Uh, I think that Panzer Dragoon Saga is, like, mm. a pretty well-liked game, but, like, 
that was very niche. Like it just, it never got that momentum. It's funny to think of like how quickly momentum can change. Cause like, I, I feel like, I feel like th- this was worse than the Wii U, but the Wii U was sort of similar in that it was just like dead on arrival console. Um, but the Wii U did have games for it, like good games. And it mm-hmm. had that, you know, it just showed you how, how much deeper Nintendo's pockets were in terms of like the franchises they had, like the, the resources, I guess, Nintendo had, um, than Sega at the time, because like, I, I think like the Sega Saturn is what killed Sega as a console maker. And like they, they were, they were literally dead before they ever, they were dead the second that Steve race came up at E3 1995, said <laughs> two ninety nine, and then yeah. fucking walked off. Like that, that was it. They were dead. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was a classic. That was fucking awesome. That, yeah, that reminds uh, me yeah. of like, um, Sony doing the whole thing after the, after the Xbox one, debacle of like always online and all that stuff and they're like yeah you can share your games and all that stuff and it's you know like that's that's just tale as old as time in the video game marketing world yeah it's just like you look at some of the momentum swings in you know of the years and like you have uh you know you have nintendo kind of down on its luck here and like the 64 comes out and it's a success but it's nowhere near as successful as sony they take over the world with the ps2 and then the ps3 kind of it's not a flop but it's not a success and like nintendo's back on top with the wii then the next generation you you kind of have uh like sony back on top with the ps4 but microsoft is right there alongside them and now you kind of have nintendo back maybe not on top but like they've at least kind of carved out their own space where they're like you know, firmly doing their own thing and successful. And like, it's, it's weird to see how momentum can, can change. Yeah. And the, I think the key is like having, having stuff, something that you can like hold on to even at your worst. You know what I mean? Like Nintendo, when they're in their darker periods, like they still have like the Mickey mouse of video games, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so they'll, they'll yeah. probably always, survive you know because they can release a mario game and even if it's like a low selling mario game it's gonna sell a lot of units for relatively speaking you know what though is like i think that the the power of nintendo is like yeah it has mario but like they have zelda they have pokemon they have metroid they have donkey kong like there's only so many times you can send out sonic and it's just like okay like i need some backup here like like and and I can't think of anything else that Sega has not even had back then. I can't think of anything else that like Sega has like that's as big as like any of those Nintendo franchises that I just mentioned. Yeah, like, well, fucking Super Monkey Ball. I don't know. Oh, that's a good, that's good though. Uh, Streets of Rage. I don't know. But the thing, I guess, the thing is, we're thinking about it differently now because you know maybe if Sega had held on some of these franchises we would have seen more from, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they've, 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 I mean, they've persisted as a, you know, they, they're still a very successful publisher and stuff like that, but it's not, you know, I think they had to kind of like reinvent themselves a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad that they're still around. I'm glad that they're still making games. Um, I think that that, you know, that that's obviously where their strength lies is, is making games. So I'm, you know, I'm glad that they're, that they're making them. Um, I would have loved, or I would still love, I would say just to put a bow on all this, 
I would love to see a follow-up to this on like the late nineties with like the, the rise of Sony and Nintendo and like Microsoft entering the fray. God, that would just, I think that that would be so, so, so cool because to me, that was my console wars. It was like Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. That was the first time I was a teenager. And I was like, like, I was like, Oh fuck Sony. Like yeah, fuck Xbox. Nintendo is where it's at. And like, you know, like I would love to see that man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fascinating period of time for sure. I think, I think I, like I said, I, you could do much like, like a civil war by Ken Burns. I think you could do just like video games and just do from like all the way from like uh space wars or whatever that old oscilloscope game was all the way through like table tennis for two and pong and all that stuff. Have, have you watched high score? I have, but it, it doesn't fully do that either. Like, yeah, I'm I'm talking like all encompassing, okay. like like n- almost like gigantic, you know, series where you talk about these big moments throughout history. You know, I'd be down for that, dude. I'd be so down for that. Um, just a I, I wanted to mention about like the the documentary itself too. Uh, I I liked all the animations and stuff that they used. It helped it kind of bring it to life. I think. Yeah, uh, it me. gave it kind of um, yeah, it went along with like kind of the story. Um, I think a lot of times too, these documentaries always have these kind of retro animations and usually I think they look kind of corny. You know what I mean? Like, especially it's always like, like high score is a good example, even though it's well-made or whatever, but it's always like that very specific, like arcade reference for gaming, just cause it's like, everyone knows that even though it's not always what you're specifically referencing, you know, it's always yeah. like. Yeah, it's always that era, and it doesn't always account for, you know, beyond that or whatever. But this, like, really honed in on, like... Like, they looked like characters in a Genesis game, you know what I mean? So I felt... I liked... I I liked it. Yeah, I liked that they didn't look like, you know, Pac-Man or whatever, because that's what I would first expect when when I hear that. But it's clearly... It's made by someone who really knows the material, obviously. Um... One one other little note here, conspicuously absent uh, in the entirety of this documentary is Minoru Arakawa, who is the Nintendo of America president. Um, I, I don't actually know if he is still with us. I'm not sure if he has passed on, but uh, it's weird that it was weird to me that he didn't get he, a mention. He like, was at it all. Wasn't, uh, Howard Lincoln. No, he he was not. Oh, um, okay. Arakawa was the Nintendo of America president okay. at the time. I thought you were going to say uh, Miyamoto. And I'm like, why would he appear in this? <laughs> well, they, they do mention Miyamoto in yeah. this. Like, for a second, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, but, I mean, he, he didn't really have much to do with what was going on. Arakawa was... It's weird to me that, like, he... That Nintendo kind of plays, like, very... Japanese executives as presidents like really there was a Japanese executive as the Nintendo of America president until Reggie and it's just like it's just weird because it seems like exactly like who you wouldn't want like you you want someone like a Tom Kalinske who's like Mm -hmm. you know lives and breathes that that kind of world a little bit more maybe I'm just assuming well and like Reggie became this whole new like marketing wing of them where it's like 
we're Nintendo, we're your friends. You know what I mean? And I like I yeah. like Reggie, but he does sort of like defy that for me of like, you know, where it's like you shouldn't be treating Nintendo like they're your buddies. You know what I mean? They're like a company that makes games. But Reggie is such an impeccably likable, amazing guy. You know, yeah. you just can't help it. Don't don't say that about Reggie. Come on. <laughs> He is my friend. It's that's that's just what it is. It's like good marketing, you know. It's like, I I don't know. You got you want to pick someone where it's like, you know, he's always like, I'm I'm a I'm gaming with you, you know. Check out my Animal Crossing Street Pass with me, you know, or whatever. Like you don't get that. You can't get that from. I know he wasn't the president, but like I don't get that from Howard Lincoln. You know what I mean? Oh no, not that, at all. It's like, like look at this. Look at this uncle they got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was going to give you a list of names actually to give, to get like a one word kind of take from you or like, okay. a, uh, what do they, what do they call that game? Like uh word association? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So Tom Kalinske, what'd you think of him? Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's corny. <laughs> I did, I did. I don't like this guy. I don't know why. He seems a little full of himself, but he seems like a genius, like very, very clever. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't doubt his, uh, his marketing prowess or anything, you know, like, but yeah, just like his stories were grading on me a little bit. <laughs> Al Nielsen, the Sega of America marketing EVP. Which guy was this? He, he was the bigger guy that was a, vi- was like a big oh, fan of video games. Very, very likable guy. Yeah. Very likable. Yeah. Um, I wrote this name down, but actually he doesn't appear or is not mentioned in this uh, documentary at all. Michael Katz was the former CEO of Sega of America and really ran it into the ground. So we'll just skip <laughs> past this guy. Um, Heo Nakayama, the president of Sega. Uh, they, uh, he was interesting. Like, uh, interesting, I guess I would say, but like, or hair, I guess he had interesting hair, <laughs> yeah, but like the helicopter hair. Yeah. I, he is someone, I guess I would want, he's mysterious. Cause I want more to know more about him beyond, what other people thought about him, you know? Uh, Shinobu Toyota, the uh, the Sega of America EVP and liaison with Sega of is Japan, that the guy? who also lives in a motel. That is the guy who um, I want. I want there to be a movie that stars him. This this guy is fucking awesome. Like if he's so, I good. want a dramatization of like his story. You know what I mean? You know what? I'm I'm going to throw out another book reference here, but it was kind of it made me a little bit sad actually reading the book because it seems like like kind of nobody I I think that they they made it seem warmer than it really was. Like the rest of Sega of America, according to the book, didn't really trust him or particularly like him at all because they they thought that he was like kind of a spy for Sega of Japan, which is not true because they like you know, he, he chose to live in America and stay in America. He quit his job to live in America. So I, I felt a little bit bad when I That's read That's why that. I think it would make such an interesting movie. Uh, because he is this guy. He, like, really believes in, like, whatever this concept of the American dream is. Um, and I feel like you could explore that in a film about, a you know, a, a Japanese guy who is dedic- dedicated but, you know, lives in a hotel... And all his coworkers <laughs> thinks that they're he's just there to screw them over. You know what I mean? Like that that writes itself. <laughs> yeah, this this guy's awesome. Yeah, I love him. Um, Ellen Beth von Burskirk. Burskirk. She, she was the Buskirk, Sega. Whatever the fuck her name is. One of the Sega reps. She was the director of communications. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. The there wasn't too much about her. Like, I feel like she just kind of she backed up whatever Tom Kalinsky had to say. So she corroborated his story. I feel like. Yeah, I I kind of got the vibe reading the book that like they were into each other. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. It, she she like backed him up on everything. Like everything. Yeah, that's yeah. So I was like, I don't really have much thoughts about her because they're all just in relation to her like just backing him up she she's a great speaker very well yeah i I did i didn't feel like she was like like slumming it for him or anything like yeah it just like her opinion was you know so aligned with him yeah um bill white the former nintendo of america guy bad bill bad oh that switch sides (laughs) That switch sides and pulls so, out the fucking super skull. So he seemed like a normal guy, just like looking to, you know, have a job somewhere else and like be successful or whatever. But in the dramatization I would make, I would make him so scummy. <laughs> like he he doesn't seem that scummy, but like be- you could make him even worse. This, this, this made him seem a little bit sleazy, yeah. but I, I really dug it when he pulled that fucking thing out in court. <laughs> that, I thought that, that was, was a sleazy move, but like, yeah, and they, they talked about him like he was sleazy, but then when he was talking, like, he was just like, yeah, like, I wanted my ideas to be listened to, and he just, like, his biggest crime was, like, switching jobs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. All right, well, speaking of switching jobs, current, or I guess current at the time, uh, Sony Games CEO, former marketing of Sega, Steve Race. This guy seems like such an asshole. It's Steve great. Race. He's like he's the perfect heel. <laughs> um, wait, which one was Steve Race? This this is two ninety nine. Oh, he walks off the stage. yeah. This is he he pops all the balloons. That was um, I would say he's a baller. Like that was he I did a mic yeah. drop moment. You know, the only one like. So Tom Kalinske has all, he tells all these stories where he delivers a mic drop moment, but there's no video evidence of it. But he, he, there is video evidence of him getting brutally owned by this guy. So that's got to be the most savage own in like the history. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. Like two ninety nine. <laughs> all the other biggest E three own moments are like self owns. You know what I mean? (laughs) Or like people. Like, just totally biff something. Howard Lincoln. What do you think about Uncle Howard? Yeah. I like, I like him. him. <laughs> he just looks okay. very... He looks like a nice uncle. Uh, Peter Main. Uh, which guy was this? This is Nintendo of America Sales and Marketing EVP. He has the bald hair... Or the bald head glasses. He looks like he might shoot somebody sometimes. Uh, <laughs> very manic, but, like, very successful. Um, I don't... Oh, this guy. Yeah, he We we can move on from him if you don't know. No, have anything. he he had a very um he had a very executive like he looks like he would play like a, a villainous executive in a in a nineties <laughs> movie. Yeah, totally. Uh George Harrison. This guy seems like a nice guy, I think. All I was like just like guy. this guy's name is George Harrison. <laughs> like that's da, 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 da. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, well, <laughs> You know, it's 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 hard making your way in the world, probably being named after one of the most famous people ever. Not named after, but just having the same name, like poor guy. Maybe he was named after. Yeah, maybe, but that 
Uh, I didn't, maybe that wouldn't have lined up, actually. Maybe would have. Who knows? Uh, you know, they didn't mention Jack Kirby at all in this uh, documentary. And I I guess that that's probably fine, because he's more central to the history of Nintendo yeah. than what happened. But I, I thought that they would, because he was part of the That's book. what's cool about, um, like, there's just all these interesting sub-stories. That, again, I, I've named yeah. up that, that video game historian channel, but, like, they he does a good job of like actually covering a lot of these things super well researched. So I know he has a video on that, the whole like lawsuit that Nintendo Jack Kirby represented Nintendo on. So like, yeah, Yeah. I mean, you can also go read this book. There's a lot of ways to get these stories, but I I think that even touch on that in the Nintendo episode of high score in like a very generic kind of way too. Oh yeah. If you want to check it out. I haven't seen that. Last one. I, I don't know why I put her on my list, because actually I don't think she was that memorable, but I, I put her on before I watched this. Gail Tilden, the editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power. Um, what? I'm tr- she doesn't she doesn't really contribute a whole lot to this, but I, I do think that, like, they go into a little bit more detail in oh. the book of, like, just what a force Nintendo Power actually was. Yeah, that would have been, that, like I said, that that could be its own episode, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, totally. She would, She just had, like, she was just dropping knowledge, so I don't. I don't have much to say about her. <laughs> uh, I, I can't recommend this documentary enough. Let's actually, let's just skip right to you. I give this a thumbs up. Yeah. It, it doesn't cover a lot of the stuff that um, the book does, but you know, this is a, a 90 minute documentary. Yeah. You know, we only have, we only have a certain time. I, you know, I, I'm a Nintendo guy, but I do like the narrative of like Sega slaying the giant and then being brought down by these other, it's it, like, it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's, it's very and, well done. Uh, tells a good um, story. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd give it a thumbs up too. It's not like it's not in the realm of like favorite documentaries or anything like that. Like, you know, and it's which is fair. Like the director, I don't think he's directed anything else, you know. But he did a good job of like translating the import some of the important information from his book to a entertaining hour and a half documentary. Yeah. So like, yeah, I I no, I don't think anyone would be upset watching this it's it's a good time yeah like there's a lot of interesting stuff to to kind of keep you watching between like the the people actually talking to like there's a cool shots of like movies at the time and like the news and like uh, oh yeah fucking hulk hogan shows up at one point that was that was Uh, another thing was like it's a lot of obvious songs they use but i feel like normally again with these kind of documentaries it's there's always just like generic 80s sounding music that feels very stock but in this like they had they like two princes played and stuff like that just like popular songs from the era that you know it's like you watch it and you're like oh i remember this song it's nostalgic you know we end on some biggie smalls for god's sakes that, you always have to you mention can't that, beat that song you can't beat that for the that would be a thumbs up alone actually right there yeah and i actually that that uh, montage they played uh, did a good job of kind of showing all video game history, like, and they showed more modern games. It was kind of it was kind of a good like acknowledgement that like, yeah, the story will go on and go on and go on. Um, I want to mention something actually that I forgot to that really made me smile when I read this in the book. So after uh, Tom Kalinske resigned from Sega, he actually got a letter from Howard Lincoln 
that said, I will miss having like you around basically. And like, you did a fantastic job and, and you will be missed. So, like, it's kind of a nice <laughs> moment of like acknowledging the competition and, and the good that they did. So I, I like that moment. Yeah. It's too bad that that didn't make it, yeah. but yeah, nice moment. Um, and we hope that this episode was full of nice moments. Uh, if you were a Sega kid or a Nintendo kid, or if you were both, uh, I think that there is something to like for, uh, for anybody here. Maybe even if you're one if of those weird PlayStation kids. If you kids. were both, are we talking about rich kids right now? I I hope you... Well, I hope you enjoyed it, too. Marky got with Sharon, and Sharon got Sharia. She was Sharon, Sharon's outlook on the topic of disease. They were all in love with dying. They were drinking from a fountain that was pouring like an avalanche coming down the mountain. Maybe those Sony kids, though. I, they're... I, I can't understand, but, like, we're just at the age now where, like, there are kids that were born when, like, PlayStation was was they were born after the PlayStations. Like some people did grow up with Crash Bandicoot, like all that stuff. That just seems so weird to me. Yeah. I sound old <laughs> as fuck saying that. Look, but, if you you're know, over, whatever. if you're an adult now, though, you just shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a I'm an everything kid now. I have I have everything, which is which is great. I love it. Um, and we hope that you guys love this episode. And uh, we are. We're gonna be back with uh, with another episode here coming soon. The saga continues. Hell yeah! I'm so stoked. I'm so stoked. I'm I'm jazzed. We are we're gonna we're gonna call our old friend Paul W. He's gonna tell us what Alice is up to. We're going back to Raccoon City, I think, and uh, we're gonna see what the yeah, game. I, I'm very is it curious. is it not? Uh, well, we're we're going maybe Raccoon World, whatever whatever <laughs> world, whatever timeline that exists we're going back and uh we are covering kind of resident evil extinction it seems like a long time since we did apocalypse yes yes apocalypse what's and the the fourth one is afterlife who names two movies with like a's but not right next to each other who does that yeah it's it's hard it's hard to follow. paul w Num- numbers uh, would be well, nice. we're gonna be back but uh we we got a good slate of shows coming for you here so after we're done with Resident Evil Apocalypse. We're going to get to the poll winner. And then after that, if you can believe, it has been one year since our fucking four-hour episode on Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Do you remember what a marathon that was? That was great. That was one of the greatest nights of my oh, life. Oh, it was awesome. And I we're going to do it again. We got Star Wars Episode Two: uh, Attack of the Clones. And I liked... Phantom Menace, and I don't like Attack of the Clones as mm. much, so I am really, really looking forward to like rewatching this and, and analyzing it. You know what else? You know what might be after that is Monster Hunter might be out by that point. Is it, is it that it's soon? Supposed to come out December thirtieth, so we'll see. Oh my god, we're wow. we're planning months and ahead, I, but Paul W, please just send that shit right to Netflix. By the way, I'll <laughs> I'll rent it for like. 10 bucks or something. 10 just bucks, like, yeah. D- 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 I'll pay whatever uh, price. I'll, I'll buy it for 20 Yeah, hell yeah. Um, I'm excited about this this list of poll options that we have going on here. Um, I picked them today, and they're all uh, of the animated uh, variety here, but uh, I, I am actually down for any one of these winning. So we will be covering whatever movie wins, not next episode. Of course, that's Resident Evil, but the episode after the only place to vote at Virtual Theater X over on Twitter. Tell your friends, retweet, and uh, you can have a hand in shaping the show and, and determining what movie we talk about here. 
Um, Goo, let's get it yeah. started and uh, go over to our poll options here. Poll option number one, Batman Assault on Arkham. And this takes place in the Batman Arkham universe. I just finished playing Batman Arkham Asylum for the Omega Metroid podcast, and that game fucking rocks. Yeah. And I I own this movie, so this is a cool movie. It's actually a Suicide Squad movie. It's not really Batman too much at all. <laughs> okay. But this is this is a video game movie based on a comic, which is based on video games. So like kind of meta here, but uh, I'm mm. I would be totally down for this to win. What about yeah, you? Yeah. How how long is Arkham Asylum? Is that like a ten hour game or something? Uh, yeah, you could you could do it in ten hours. It depends on if you go ham and do all oh, the Riddler yeah. trophies, which which is what I did. I think uh, yeah, I think if it wins, I might maybe uh, on a day off I'll do it. I might not beat it, but maybe I'll play some of that game. Oh man, it's it's so fucking solid. It's such a yeah. good game. Uh, we can we can yeah, probably talk it. more about that if it wins too. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'd be totally down for that. Um, so that's poll option number one, Batman Assault on Arkham. Poll option number two, Halo Legends. And I think that this is the second time it's been on the poll. Halo Legends is interesting. I feel like Halo is one of the last big series that we haven't covered on the show. And there is a few of these like smaller movies. I think Legends is like kind of a compilation. It's kind of like got the Animatrix vibes going mm. on to it, I think. I see, yeah. So I would be down for this as well. Yeah, I know. I'd not... I don't really know anything about this, but uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, well, that's pull option number two. Pull option number three, returning for a second try, Street Fighter II, the animated movie. I was in my local video game store and actually walked past a pristine-looking VHS of this Ooh. very movie here. <laughs> okay. So I, uh, I I would watch it on Tubi for free. Shout out to Tubi. Oh, but yeah. I I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of excited. Oh, there's so much good shit on Tubi. It's it's a treasure trove, really. Yeah, I just watched Rat Race on Tubi. <laughs> oh my god, I remember watching that in, in theaters. Hell yeah. I, I, I skipped school with some friends, and we were sitting at the front, and we were like 13, and there was a group of teenagers at the back, and we were the only people in there. These teenagers were being loud and disruptive. At one point, one person threw their shoe at the screen. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah, it was a great movie. So that's pull option number three, cool. Street Fighter Two. It looks cool. I'm watching a, I'm watching a clip from it, and it looks fucking dope. Yeah, I like. I, I'm down if that wins. And pull option number four, and this one is actually going to get my vote because I'm kind of curious. Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva. Now, I have actually I've picked up three Professor Layton games for my Nintendo DS in the last couple months. And I've given them to my wife to play, and she really likes them. And uh, I've played through them, and these fucking games are so hard, man. Like, they're so hard. So I, I'm i kind of rooting for this to win, because I want to see what a movie could be about. Because I think this is going to be a good old-fashioned, like, mystery whodunit kind of a deal. And I, I think that Professor Layton is actually kind of cool. I never so played those, I'm, I'm low-key voting for this. They look charming. I'm looking at the trailer for this, and... The animation looks really cool. Like I love the style. Um, it it reminds me sort of like the Animal Crossing movie, which I also like the art style of as well. I like. I legit am, am excited for all four of these options. I think that any one of these, I think every one of these are going to be good, and uh, I'd be okay with any one of them winning. So, pull option number one: Batman Assault on Arkham. Pull option number two: Halo Legends. Pull option number three: Street Fighter Two, the animated movie. Poll option number four, Professor Layton and the Eternal Diva. 
And once again, you can go over to at Virtual Theater X over on Twitter to cast your vote. Um, woof! This has been uh, this has been a long one, but I had a great time talking console wars. Oh yeah, this was uh, it was cool to do something that was a little bit different again. I guess even though that's all we've yeah. been lately, we're getting back to normal well, next next time. Until we do Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, it's our show. We, we do what we want, goddammit. Um, and we hope that you guys appreciate that. And we hope that you follow us on Twitter, at Spateri316, at GooeyFame, and at VirtualTheaterX. And of course, we hope that you check us out over on SoundCloud and podcasts, wherever you get them. Um, and of course, one last plug, we hope that you check us out over on Patreon. Uh, we, we shill it all the time. we got some great bonuses. We have the Legend of Zelda series coming to a head rapidly. Uh, we had uh, a lot of different outtakes, um, lots of good stuff that you can uh, that you can come in and check out over on patreon.com forward slash virtual theater. Oof, uh, Goo, do we need to plug anything else before we get on out of here? Uh, no, I think I think we're pretty succinct, or not succinct, I think we're all encompassing. <laughs> no, definitely not. Never succinct. No. Never oh, succinct. check out the butthole surfers. And the sweaty yes. nipples. <laughs> Give us give us a Sega screen before we get oh, out of here. Oh, good one, yeah. Sega! Oh, you can't beat that. Until next <laughs> oh, time. Oh, you're not even going to do one? Sega! Yes! <laughs>